The scripture reading is from Exodus 17, 1 through 7. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and the water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's just pray again and invite God to speak to us. Thank you for your word, Lord. Help me to speak clearly. May your Holy Spirit speak personally to each one of us. Amen. We've been studying the Old Testament book of Exodus, which is the biblical account of how God rescued his people from their slavery in Egypt. And we're at the point in Exodus where the Israelites have left Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They're on their way to the promised land. And in the passage today, if you, if you kind of look at the way Moses wrote it, the, the, the uh, plot line of the story, it has a very simple narrative structure. The, plot, the plot's something like this. First, there's a problem. Then there's a solution. Very simple, like a two-act play. Problem, solution. So what's the problem? Well, I think if you could go back in time and, and talk to these Israelites and, and ask them, what is your biggest problem right now? What do you think they'd say? They'd say, well, the problem is that we don't have any water, right? And, and that's what you read about in verse 1. Verse 1 says the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place. As the Lord commanded, they camped at Rephidim. But it says there was no water for the people to drink. And so they would have told us that, uh, that the lack of water was the biggest need in their lives in that moment, right? Um, they, they thought the problem was the lack of water. That's what they thought. But that wasn't their problem. I, w I wonder if ever there are times in life where, where what we would diagnose as being our biggest need, our biggest crisis, our biggest problem, really isn't a problem. See, no, no water in the desert isn't a problem if you are traveling with an omnipotent God, right? I mean, if God, if God is with you, that's not a problem. And God was with them. It says they were traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. So the Lord God was with his people. Now, we, we might ask, 
who was this God who was with his people? And, and, and you, you remember from our study, this is the God who had delivered them from their oppression in Egypt. Remember, with signs and wonders and demonstrations of power, this is the God who had parted the waters of the Red Sea so they could go through on dry land. This is, this is the God who had been feeding them manna in the wilderness every day. They had not missed a meal this whole time. So this is who their God was. And guys, when a, when a God like that is with you, no water is no problem. When, a, when, a, when an omnipotent, eternal, almighty God is with you and for you, and can I just pause? Christian, listen to me. Omnipotent, eternal, almighty God is with you. He is for you. When a God like that is with you and for you, what would we say? No water is no problem. No money is no problem. No green card is no problem. No health insurance is no problem. You say, well, those things aren't problems. Listen, yeah, they're problems for us, but they're, can we, is it fair to say they're not problems for our God? Right? So, so the problem that they were facing was not really the lack of water. Okay, then what was the problem? It was a lack of trust in God. They, they, were, they were struggling to, have you ever struggled to trust God? Yeah, I have. They, that was their problem. They were, they were struggling to trust their God. Now you might ask, well, where do you see this lack of trust? Well, one place you see it is in their actions. Let me, let me read uh, some of the verses again, just a few of them, and I'm going to emphasize certain words to try to make a point. Okay, start, starting at verse 2. So they quarreled with Moses and said, let us drink water. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Verse 4, then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. So here's a question. What's, what's the difference in this passage? What's the difference between what the people are doing and what Moses is doing? What's the difference in, in, in their actions? Well, you would say the people, listen, there's a lot that's common between the people and Moses. They're both, all of them are angry. The people are angry, Moses is angry. The people are using a lot of negative talk. Moses is using some pretty negative talk. But the difference is that the people are speaking about their problems to each other and to Moses. Moses is speaking about his problems to God. That's a, that's a huge difference. In other words, Moses, Moses was praying the people were not. And this, this is what we'll see in our lives. I'll see it in, I've seen it in mine. Have you seen it in yours? A lack of trust will always reveal itself in a lack of prayer. Are you, Christian, are you praying? What are you doing with your, what are you doing with your problems? What are you doing with your concerns? Are, are, you, are you praying? See, um, there's a world of difference, wouldn't you agree with me, between talking to God about our problems and talking to other human beings about our problems. Listen, even if the other human being is you, 
You ever do that? I do that a lot. I'll, I'll maybe walk down the street and, and I'm going over a problem in my mind again. I'm talking, to, I'm talking to a human about it. The human is me, right? So here's, here's what you'll find in, in the Christian life. If you, if, you are ex, if you are exclusively talking to yourself about your problems, what are you doing? You're worrying. If you are exclusively talking to others about your problems, what are you doing? You're grumbling. But if you are, if you are primarily talking to God about your problems, what are you doing? I'll tell you what you're doing. You are making contact with the throne room of heaven itself. Something powerful is happening. You Listen, you are taking your problems no matter how heartbreaking they may be. And you know what? You're placing them at the feet of the only one in the whole universe who can actually do something about them. You're, you're, you're giving them to God. Isn't it a privilege we have to be able to pray? Here's a verse I was looking at this week. What a verse. Man, what a promise. Jeremiah 29, verse 12. God says, call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. That's a promise. Now, somebody might be tempted to say, I'm not sure that promise applies to me because I've been pretty unfaithful and I've kind of strayed far away from the Lord and I don't, haven't been doing very good as a Christian lately. Listen, let me tell you the context. Do you know who, to whom that promise was originally spoken? That was spoken to people who had been so unfaithful to God and wandered so far away from God. They had actually been exiled away from their land to a, to a distant place. And yet God said to them, call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen. He'll listen to us. So the pro their problem was not lack of water. It was a lack of trust, and you see that in their actions. They're not praying, right? They're just not praying. You don't only see it in their actions. Another, the second place, I, the, I would say you see it in their attitude. And, and here's where you kind of need to crack open the books and do some study to see um, some, some of the finer points of the language. Um, but verse 7 Moses sums up uh, in his writing what happened at that place. It says Moses called the place Masa, and that's Hebrew for testing, and he called it Meribah, which is Hebrew for quarreling, because it says the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord. Now, when it says the Israelites quarreled, the, the word translated quarreled there, that, that, was a, that was a verb that had legal undertones to it. So within its range of meanings, that was, that's a word that meant to sue someone in a court of law. It, it meant to bring charges against a person. It, it meant, it, it meant to, to put someone on trial. So they're not just grumbling here, right? Like, oh, man, I'm hungry. I need lunch. It's not, that, that's just not grumbling. This is rebellion. They're, they're putting God on trial. This God who had rescued them from slavery. Do we want him to be our God or not? I don't know. Let's put him on trial. What does the jury say? They're, they're putting God on trial. And then, and then it says that the, the, they tested the Lord. And, and the word for tested there was, it was a Hebrew word that meant, it meant to test something by smelling it. And there were different words in Hebrew. There was one word that was to test something by picking it up and holding it and experiencing it. But this is different. This was to test by smell. Kind of like you might open your refrigerator and pull out a gallon of milk. And you're a little concerned by the expiration date. So you, you, know, you don't want it close to you. You kind of hold it far away in at you. You just 
sniff. Do I want this or not? Should I, should I consume this or dump it down the drain? That's what they're doing with God. They're sniffing at God. Do we even want him or not? Right? So this attitude shows this is a tremendous problem, isn't it? This is beyond just your, your everyday grumbling here. It, God is kind of hanging in the balance in their eyes. They're wondering, should we continue with Yahweh or should we, should we reject him? They're, they're, in fact, Psalm 95, you ever read that? It's a beautiful psalm, but it refers back to this event and it diagnoses the exact problem that their attitude was. It tells us their hearts had become hard. You ever feel like your heart is starting to get hard? This is what it says. It, it says, today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the desert. Their hearts had become hard. Book of, the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 3, that, that writer also looks back to this particular event, and he says that the, their hardening of heart was so serious that it could have eternal implications. For a person, he says, Hebrews 3, verse, verse 12, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart like those people that turns away from the living God. So that was their problem. And uh, I can identify to it. I can't really identify with being in the desert with no water. I don't know if anyone's ever been in a situation like that. Me, no. I've, uh, my whole life, I pretty much, I guess like all of us, my whole life has been lived in a context where if I'm thirsty, I just go to the, the sink and turn on the tap. And yeah, there's water, right? I, I, I've never experienced that. But I've struggled to trust God in a hard time. Have you? I mean, I think we can relate to this. Don't, don't, the fact that this is a common struggle, don't dismiss it as, as, as unimportant. This is very, very serious. If you're struggling to have faith, Isaiah chapter 7 said, if you, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Hebrews 11 said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For anyone who would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 9, he said, according to your what? According to your faith, it will be done to you. This is, this is serious. And he said in John chapter 11, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? But what if we don't believe? You see, this is, this is a serious problem. So what was the solution? Well, I can tell you what the solution would be if I were God. Aren't you glad I'm not God? You know, I, I would think the solution is God just needs to kind of straighten these people out. You know, go down there, maybe pick a few, make an example of them, right? A few, a few well-placed lightning bolts at this moment in time. Just, just kind of punish these people. How dare they? After all he's done for them, after everything he's done, to turn on him like this? I would think that the solution would be, you know, as we used to say with our kids, a little pow-pow, right? Just some punishment. And at first, it does appear that that's what God is going to do. 
Verse, verse 4 says, then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? In other words, God, what is the solution for this problem? He said, they're about ready to stone me. And then verse 5, the Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel. Now, listen, when God told him, take some of the elders and march them out in front of the people, anyone and everyone in ancient Israel would know what was about to take place. When the elders are called, they are, it's, it's, kind of like, it's kind of like paneling a jury. They, they, are, they, are, they are calling forth elders to, to witness or witnesses to observe a trial. The, the elders are witnesses. There's a trial that's about to, to, to take place. You know, it seems like God is going to put the people on trial and bring them judgment. And, and then... God says to Moses, take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. And it's, listen, it's worth noting that he doesn't refer to the staff as the staff with which you parted the Red Sea. It was the same staff. But if he had called it the staff with which you parted the Red Sea, we would know God is thinking of this as the rod of salvation, right? He doesn't call it that. He refers to it as the staff with which you struck the Nile, the staff with which you brought down my judgment on Egypt. So he's not, God is not referring to this as the rod of salvation. God is now referring to it, this is the rod of judgment. So God says, gather the witnesses, call forth the elders, get the rod of judgment. And the people are probably thinking to themselves, this is it. We've seen what that rod can do. We've seen what the wrath of God can do. We saw all of Egypt laid waste. Now it's our turn. And we deserve it. But then God says something that is so astonishing. I don't think any of them saw this coming. I don't think Moses saw it coming. Just like it blew their minds. Verse 6, God says, I will stand there before you at the rock in Horeb. Here's why that's astonishing. You read through the Bible, you will find it again and again and again. Occasions where we are told that people, humans, are summoned to stand before God. We stand before God to receive our orders. We stand before God to hear his word. We stand before God to be judged. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. This is the only place in all scripture where God says, I'll stand before you. You be the judge. I'll be the defendant. I'll stand before you. And, and, and then God says this, I'll stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out for the people to drink. Now, it's a little hard for me to imagine exactly what this would have looked like, but I, 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 here's the way I picture it, okay? In the, in, in the gym that I go to, I, I go to this gym so I can lift these little tiny weights, all right? Um, but in, 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 the, in the gym that I go to, there's, uh, they have a couple of these punching bags, the big heavy bags that hang from the ceiling. And not a lot of people use them, but the guys who do look like they know what they're doing. These are like really strong guys who look like they're fighters. They're training for some kind of, and, and they hit the bag pretty hard. Now imagine, imagine if I go to my gym and I see one of these guys lacing up his gloves and, and, and I go and stand in front of the punching bag and I say, all right, man, 
hit the bag as hard as you can. I'm not going to do that, and I'll tell you why. Because in hitting the bag, what would he do? He'll hit me. That's the way I picture this, this passage. God says, I'll stand there before you by the rock. Strike the rock. Which I think was, is symbolically another way of God saying, Moses, don't strike the people. They deserve it. Strike me. Strike me. So you see what's going on here at, 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 in this passage. Instead of giving the people the judgment they deserved, God's solution for their, their sinful rebellion is, is, is symbolically in the rock to take the judgment himself. That's the solution. That's the solution to their sin. God says, you punish me for their sin so they can have what they need, so water can flow. So instead of smacking them, God says symbolically, smack the rock. Now, you can understand. Can you understand why the Apostle Paul 1 Corinthians 10, when he's writing about this event, you understand why he said to the people, that rock was Christ. You know what he meant by that, don't you? He meant, he meant that whole scene at Horeb was foreshadowing what God would do for us through Jesus Christ, for us who we have complained, we have rebelled, we have rejected. And, and it, listen, at Horeb, God said, Strike the rock so water can flow. At Calvary, God said, strike my son so grace can flow. Forgiving grace, pardoning grace, life-giving grace to anyone, anyone who wants it, anyone. You know what Jesus said? He, he, Jesus said this, John chapter 7, and if you look in the context, it's very likely that he had this event in mind when he said this. John 7, he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. As the scripture has said, out of their heart will flow rivers of living you know what Jesus meant when he said, if anyone is thirsty? You know what he meant by that word, anyone? He meant anyone, right? No matter who you are, no matter how you feel you've messed up, no matter how far hard you feel your heart is dead. Listen, he just said anyone. I don't care who you are. If you come to me, I will be the, for you, the rock that was cleft at Horeb. I will be for you, the one who took the judgment you deserve so that for you and through me, Jesus says, rivers of life-giving, refreshing water, forgiveness, salvation can be yours. Can you imagine how, I'll close with this, imagine how the people, imagine how they felt. I just like to kind of put myself in these stories and imagine. Imagine how they felt when they were drinking that water. They've been so thirsty. You've been thirsty. and You know how, how it's just like a cup of cold water. Just imagine they're just kind of diving and splashing and having water fights with their kids and they're drinking this water. It must have been so satisfying for their bodies. But then when they step back and they realize what had just happened, that God himself had taken the judgment they deserve so they could live 
Imagine how satisfying it was for their souls. Don't you think they just, as they're splashing away and having fun, don't you think they just said, oh, but we have a good God. Don't we have a good God? And, and when we come to this table this morning, we're reminded of what God did to give life to us. We gotta be saying the same thing in our hearts, right? I mean, don't throw the wine on each other or anything like that, but just be saying, oh, what a good God. What a good God. So believer, will you rejoice in your, your Savior today? And if, listen, let me just say this. If you're not sure you're a believer yet, all of this goodness and all of this love and all this mercy that I just described, it is right now offered to you. You could, just like anyone else, the only way we got this is trusting Jesus. You could trust Jesus today. Would you? And all of this will be given to you. Let's pray together. I don't know what to say in response to this passage, Lord, but just this. Thank you. Thank you for your love. May it heal us. In Christ's name, amen.